Welcome to a special segment of the Not All Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 422. For our audience of the Not All Better Show, many of us are in our second acts and we're thinking bigger like never before. We're creating better. We are living smarter and ideas are coming at you every day from all directions. Where do you even start? I suggest starting with Wondery's newest podcast titled The Next Big Idea, which is hosted by Rufus Griscom and featuring thought leaders Malcolm Gladwell, Susan Cain, Adam Grant, and Daniel Pink, among others. The Next Big Idea brings you the most groundbreaking ideas that have the power to change the way you live, work, and think. Each episode dives deep into one big idea through immersive storytelling, narration, and curator interviews with the most interesting authors at work today. Here's a question for you. What would you do with an extra $1,000 of free money every single month? Would you start a savings account for retirement? Would you go back and finish your degree? Or would you just spend it on your dream vacation? This is the question Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang wants every American to answer. In the next Big Ideas episode entitled Free Money, Andrew Yang makes his case for universal basic income, or UBI, and why it might be the best plan to grow America's economy and bolster its shrinking middle class. You're about to hear a clip from the next Big Idea podcast. Subscribe to the next Big Idea and other great Wondery shows on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You will find a link in our show notes today. Enjoy. It's a lovely spring day in 2026. It's an especially lovely day because it's the first day of the month and... Uncle Sam has just deposited $1,000 into your bank account. Why? Because three years ago, America adopted Universal Basic Income, or UBI. Every citizen over the age of 18 gets $1,000 a month, no strings attached. For you, UBI has been a lifeline. You were laid off last year after working the past two decades as a machinist. You were good at it, but then the machines learned to operate themselves, and your skills weren't needed. It seems like overnight, jobs for people like you just vanished. At first, you were terrified, but not anymore, because with that extra thousand a month, you're about to open your own business, a flower shop. They don't call UBI the freedom dividend for nothing. You and your spouse save yours to invest in your business. Your adult son used his to finally move out of your place and into his own apartment. Setting up the shop takes a little longer than you expected, but today is the grand opening, and everyone you know shows up. After all, they each have an extra thousand bucks a month, too, which means more money for flowers. Sound like a fantasy? Not for Andrew Yang. The Freedom Dividend is his big idea and the centerpiece of his presidential campaign. Well, it's not really his idea. People have been talking about UBI for centuries. Everyone from founding father Thomas Paine to conservative economist Milton Friedman to Martin Luther King speaking here in 1967. Now one of the answers, it seems to me, 
is a guaranteed uh, annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. Governments and charities have experimented with it in Finland and Canada and Kenya and other places. There's a small pilot project in Stockton, California. Alaska kind of has one in its permanent fund, which was set up by a Republican governor in 1976 and pays a lump sum to everyone in the state out of oil revenues, currently about $1,600 per person per year. In general, direct payments have worked pretty well, although no one has tried them on the scale Yang is proposing, and there are plenty of doubters. Yang says UBI won't make all of our troubles go away, But he says we have to do something, and this is a good place to start. But first, a little background. Andrew Yang, thank you for being our guest on the Next Big Idea podcast. Thanks for having me, Rufus. It's a pleasure. First of all, I want to say congratulations. You have been busy since I saw you last, which I want to say was like six, seven, eight years ago. You were were building Venture for America. Since then, you've written two books, created a few thousand jobs, and now you're running for president. And uh, you seem to be not only doing important work, but having a pretty good time. That's my impression. Well, if you're going to run for president as the outsider entrepreneur, you better freaking enjoy it, I think. (laughs) I think an effective place to start would be to scare the heck out of people, which you're good at doing. I'm a very scary individual, that's true. But I'd like to open this up to invite you, Andrew, to punch us in the face How bad is our current situation? I spent seven years running a nonprofit that I'd started, Venture for America, that uh, Rufus helped out with uh, in its earlier days. And I was blown away by the gulf between different regions in this country where you feel like you're crossing dimensions or decades or ways of life if you travel between St. Louis and San Francisco or Michigan and Manhattan. And I wrote the book in large part to try and figure out why my unease was so high, particularly after Donald Trump won. If you turn on cable news, you would think Donald Trump is our president today because of some mixture of Russia, Hillary Clinton, emails, Facebook, FBI, some some cocktail. But I'm a numbers guy. And when I looked at the numbers, it was clear to me that We'd blasted away 4 million manufacturing jobs over the last number of years, and those jobs were primarily based in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Missouri, Iowa, all these. If that list of states sounds familiar, those are the swing states that Donald Trump won. And what we did to those manufacturing jobs, we are now doing to retail jobs, call center jobs, fast food jobs, eventually trucking jobs, and on and on through the economy. We're in the midst of the greatest economic transformation in our country's history, the fourth industrial revolution. And Donald Trump is a symptom or a manifestation of the fact that we're in the third inning of this transformation and doing nothing about it. And if you doubt that this is already transforming America's way of life, as we're sitting here today, our labor force participation rate is down to a multi-decade low, about 63%, the same levels as El Salvador and Costa Rica, for international comparables, and our life expectancy has declined for the last three years in a row because suicides and drug overdoses have both overtaken vehicle deaths for the first time in American history. It is highly unusual for the life expectancy in a developed country to decline one year, let alone three years in a row. The last time it happened in the U.S. was 
100 years ago during the Spanish flu of 1918, a global pandemic that killed millions. So we're back in pandemic territory in terms of its impact on U.S. life expectancy. These problems drove Donald Trump into the White House, and they're going to get worse as 30% of the stores and malls close, AI starts assuming the work of call center workers and truck drivers and on and on. So Is that scary? That's pretty no, scary. I think that's at least the left hook, you know, and, uh, in terms of the face punching. The, um, so we should not be reassured that the unemployment rate is at a historic low of 3.5%. You would say that is unrepresentative of the reality. Well, we have three headline measurements to see how we're doing in America today. GDP, stock market prices, and the headline unemployment rate. And each of these is somewhere between problematic and disastrous in practice. GDP is at record highs even as life expectancies declining and something like self-driving trucks will be tremendous for GDP, save $168 billion a year in various expenses, but it's going to be disastrous for some of the three and a half million truckers or the seven million Americans who work in truck stops, motels and diners around the country. Stock market prices, but the bottom 80% of Americans own 8% of stock market wealth and the bottom 50% own essentially zero. So if you're trumpeting stock market prices, you're tracking the fortunes of the top 20% of the country. And headline unemployment, to your point, Rufus, if you drop out of the workforce and you get discouraged, it actually improves the unemployment rate. The headline unemployment rate doesn't take into account labor force participation, which I mentioned. It also doesn't take into account the fact that 94% of new jobs are temp gig or contract jobs that don't have healthcare benefits or a path forward in many cases. It doesn't account for the fact that 40 to 44% of recent college grads are doing a job that doesn't require a degree None of those things shows up in the headline unemployment rate. It's almost intentionally uh, obscuring a lot of the ugly reality. So we need to upgrade to measurements that actually tell us how we're doing. You can't solve a problem if you can't see it. Hey, thanks, everybody. And remember to check out the next Big Ideas podcast and the episode entitled Free Money with Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. You can find the next Big Idea podcast from Wondery at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you'll also find a link in our show notes today. Thanks, everybody.